The next matter, number 23-1701, Sarah Esteban Garcia v. Merrick B. Garland. At this time, would counsel for the petitioner please introduce himself on the record to begin. Good morning. Christian Meyer for petitioner Sarah Esteban Garcia. May it please the court, I would seek two minutes of rebuttal time. You may have it. So it's important in this case to note that the only issue that was addressed in the board's decision related to whether the record supported a finding of whether petitioner's harm rose to the level of past persecution. The board summarily adopted the remaining points. No, the board also considered the evidence of PTSD, which your client, I don't know if you were counsel before the board, offered to supplement the record. Yes, in relation to the finding of past persecution. However, the issues raised as to nexus, the well-founded fear of future persecution, and government action were not reviewed, and there was no discussion in the board's decision. I thought the board adopted the immigration judge's decision plus added a few comments. I believe in relation to those aspects of the claim, there was no additional commentary. But if there's not, then it's adopted. Leaving the immigration judge. Are you just trying to say that with respect to some of the issues, we have to look at the IJ opinion, not the BA? Exactly. So I would move to the nexus determination, as that is dispositive as to the finding of a well-founded fear of future persecution. That was noted by the immigration judge as the main basis for denying the well-founded fear of future persecution. So in relation to nexus. And this is assuming that there's no error on past persecution. I will reach the error on past persecution. So for the purpose of this conversation, assume there's no error, just the straight up future persecution. Yes, but as nexus goes to both of those issues, I'd like to raise it first. So the issue is that the immigration judge and the board, in adopting this decision, failed to engage in the requisite mixed motive analysis. If you note from the immigration judge's decision, the sole basis for the nexus finding was that financial motivations cannot serve as a nexus, and there was no protected ground. And you mentioned protected ground. Where in the record, because the way it's framed, your client's not framing her claim that her status is an indigenous Guatemalan woman and was targeted based on being such. It's basically, it's based on my gender. I have future persecution. That was raised in the pre-hearing brief to the immigration court, as well as the brief towards the board. And I would also point the court to the board's own precedent in matter of Fuentes, 19 INN decision 658. There's no requirement that the persecutor establish the exact motivation. Now, she does note in her credible fear interview that she, when being asked about what fear she has as an indigenous woman, she does note that, you know, she did fear being forced into forced prostitution, and that indigenous women are taken advantage of in that manner, supporting a finding that one central reason 
for her targeting was her indigenous status. You started by saying that the IJ ignored the mixed motive analysis, but I believe that the IJ's opinion says while an alien need not prove that the alleged persecutors targeted her solely because of a protected characteristic, the alien must provide some evidence, direct or circumstantial, establishing that the protected ground was, quote, at least one central, end quote, reason, end quote, for the persecution. That's correct. That is the mixed motive analysis. And the immigration judge disregarded the substantial weight of the evidence that provided from... Okay, so your argument is not that there was a legal error in not acknowledging this, but that there was an error in not sufficiently crediting evidence. I think the error is twofold. Petitioner does believe that there was not an adequate mixed motive analysis. However, the record does support the finding that her status as an indigenous Guatemalan woman was central. But it's got to do more than that when we have a... There's two possibilities, with three possibilities. One, it stated the wrong standard. It wasn't applying the one central reason. It thought so long as there was any financial motive, petitioner loses. It's hard to read the IJ's decision to say as much, unless you're saying otherwise. Well, I would note that Aldana Ramos v. Holder does provide that the financial motivations do not preclude that. That's not what I said. Are you saying the IJ relied on the conclusion that if there was any financial motive, it precluded there being a nexus? No. Okay, so that's not the argument. So then the next possible argument is that the evidence that you put forward to show that the protected ground was a central reason, notwithstanding that there was also a financial motive, was sufficiently strong that it compels the conclusion. Exactly. Okay. Is that the argument you're making? Yes, and I would point to the record specifically notes the UN's guidelines on the trafficking of refugees notes that overriding economic motive does not exclude the possibility of convention-related grounds. Further, members of certain race or ethnic groups in a given country may be especially vulnerable to trafficking. So continuing on that line, those are the UN guidelines. The record also supports exactly that proposition, that as an indigenous Guatemalan woman, she was particularly vulnerable. But what compels the conclusion that that is why she was chosen? The supporting record does. But her own testimony does not. But her own testimony is not required. She's not required to know that as a central reason. But her cousin does not. The question is whether if you're not saying that there was a legal error of the kind that we established, you're not saying there was. And you're just saying the weight of the evidence compels an opposite finding than the IJ found, which is a perfectly logical argument. If it were true, you would win. We're trying to figure out what in the record compels that conclusion. It can't be the case that because a person may have been targeted, it compels the conclusion that in this particular case they were targeted for that reason. And the record does support that. So the UNICEF report provided at record 325 
notes that trafficking in Guatemala focuses on targeting individuals who are particularly vulnerable, taking advantage of the inequality that these groups face. Further, there was another report specifically on sex trafficking that noted how small criminal groups will exploit indigenous women to traffic them. But is there anything that's specific to this incident that shows that that general state of the world is what happened here? I believe so. What is that evidence? And that would be her persecutor's own actions in sexually assaulting her at the time that the threats of sexual persecution were made. He gropes her, and his language also supports, I believe she reported that he said, we're going to make you a slut. Those directly point to not only the gender-based motivations, but the fact that as an indigenous Guatemalan woman, within the context of Guatemalan society. When she was asked at the hearing, and of course the behavior that she was subjected to is reprehensible, but when she was asked specifically how indigenous women in Guatemala are treated, she said they face discrimination, street harassment, but she did not say that they are forced into prostitution or drug selling as a group. And she said she didn't know any girls from her indigenous village who were forced to become prostitutes. So Matter of Fuentes, again, does not require that she know that. I would note also she reported in her credible hearing. No, but you're in the position of arguing that the record compelled a contrary conclusion, but her own testimony undercuts any argument of the record compelling the conclusion that here she was targeted as an indigenous woman. She doesn't claim it. She doesn't claim to know anybody. The country condition reports does slightly support you, but it also slightly goes against you. Well, her testimony was that her village was a small indigenous village, and it also noted that her persecutor described taking these exact actions against members of the community. While she did not personally know anyone, the persecutor's own words relate to the fact that he was targeting other indigenous women for the same type. Because the community was made up 100% of indigenous persons. Is that in the record? Her testimony relates. I don't believe that she says that it's 100% indigenous people. Was there a reference to her clothing made by the perpetrator? I thought there was. I don't believe so, but her testimony mentions that she would commonly wear the indigenous clothing when she was approached by this man initially who was feigning. I see there's no evidence in the record of anything from the perpetrator commenting on her being indigenous. Not specifically, no. But I would note that under the general conditions that were presented. What we're trying to get you to address is the difference between a case in which the IJ had ruled for you and the government was saying there's not substantial evidence to support the IJ's ruling. In the situation in which the IJ ruled against you, and you have to show that the evidence compels the opposite conclusion that the IJ reached. I guess I'm trying to find, is there some authority you could point us to that would suggest 
on this kind of record where it's purely circumstantial and we don't have anything from the perpetrator directly commenting on a salient characteristic of the protected group, we're compelled to find that the IJ erred? I believe that the additional reports, specifically the expert declaration relating to the treatment of indigenous women, specifically notes that that is a basis for which women... One thing is, and I don't know if this is an argument you've made, the IJ in the analysis reaches a conclusion that there's no nexus. And in the nexus analysis does say that the respondent stated that Tito wanted her to do these things so that he could enjoy the money and then says obviously that itself is not a nexus, a basis for finding nexus, which is true if you just looked at that. The IJ doesn't address the country conditions reports. The IJ doesn't address any of the other statements that the perpetrator made. And the IJ doesn't address any of the characteristics of the community from which she was from or the fact that she was wearing visibly indigenous clothing. Have you made any argument to us, or did you make any argument to the BIA, that the IJ had failed to consider evidence that it was obliged to consider? I believe in the brief to this court, it was raised that the evidence on the record did compel a finding. That's a different question than I asked, which is did you make an argument that there was legal error by the IJ in not addressing evidence that bore on the question? I believe that that was referenced in Petitioner's open brief. And the issue as to the particular social group was raised with the board. Okay. Thank you, counsel. At this time, if counsel for the respondent would please introduce herself on the record to begin. Good morning, Your Honor. May it please the court, Nancy Pham. Speak up, please. Thank you. Nancy Pham for the United States Attorney General. This case is about Petitioner and her boyfriend, her then boyfriend Tito, who she shared this intimate relationship with. It's a case about money, opportunity, and personal relationship. That was what was motivating Tito. And the government would like to point out that Tito is from the local rural area that Petitioner comes from. He is also indigenous. And because of this relationship with Petitioner, that they were boyfriend and girlfriend, the motivation behind his actions were essentially opportunity and this personal relationship. Now, turning to what the court seems particularly interested in, whether there was a proper mixed motive analysis, the government's position here is that the immigration judge acknowledged the possibility of a mixed motive, but did not apply it because the record did not support it. The record is replete with information and support that what Tito was motivated by was money. Does it make a difference if you said Tito was her boyfriend, where the record says they dated on a few occasions, would it make a difference if he dated, let's say, seven, eight, nine, ten times, 
versus he just met her and told her to do the same exact things. It, it would make a difference? If I'm, I think I'm understanding your question, Your Honor. Um, it, it does make a difference that there's numerous mentions um, that the, the um, pardon me, that the motivation for Tito to recruit petitioner into prostitution was money. Um, during her credible fear interview, the asylum officer actually gave petitioner ample opportunity to express if there were alternate motivations. And every single time, her response, her own response, was that Tito and his associates were motivated by money. Uh, the asylum officer asked her, did they say why they wanted you to enter into prostitution instead of someone else? She answered, no. All they said is that they wanted the money for women to be able to sell their bodies and make money that way. The asylum officer also asked her, why did these men think they could take you and sell you? And she mentions this dating relationship with Tito. And I understood that all they wanted to do was make easy money. The asylum officer also asked her, was your being indigenous a reason why they wanted to do prostitution? She said, I don't know. But they kept saying that they get women to do this. That's their business and that's their job. It's their business. The motivation here, the record is replete, is money. There's no mixed motive analysis needed because it wasn't appropriate under the record. And um, we've discussed, um, petition has discussed sort of country condition reports, a UNICEF report, and while, you know, general evidence of what is going on in Guatemala might have some relevance, it doesn't have relevance to the particular motivation at play here, which is Tito and the associates that interacted with petitioner. And government would just like to highlight on that point um, this court's precedent in Mayorga Vidal v. Holder. Even um, if a persecutor is shown to prey upon vulnerable persons, but with rega without regard for that particular cause of weakness, that doesn't establish a protected ground. So in a sense, if this person happens to be from a um, vulnerable community, that doesn't matter if that's not actually the reason that the actor targeted the individual. And here we have nothing in the record that shows that Tito targeted petitioner because of her indigenous status. Everything else from his words, the petitioner's words, even um, an affidavit from petitioner's own cousin indicates that what was driving Tito and his associates was money. So the government would advance that. The mixed motive analysis is completely not applicable here and that the immigration judge looked at the record and made that determination correctly. Um, and just to point out, it, the immigration judge's opinion, she did mention the petitioner's indigenous status, um, that in the petitioner's testimony before the immigration judge, that she had faced discrimination, had been called an Indian, and so forth. So the, the immigration judge on the record and in the written opinion is acknowledging that that um, she considered this indigenous status and whether it was applicable to this case. Um, and again, the record is points the opposite way, which is that Tito and his associates were motivated by money. Um, and if anything, targeted petitioner simply because she was his girlfriend that he had a personal relationship with and came from the same rural community. 
So on that point, petitioner has not established that the harm she suffered was on account of a protected ground. Now, under the past persecution claim, there's two additional prongs that petitioner must establish in order to prevail. And the government's position there is that substantial evidence does not support petitioner's claim. The first of the alternate elements is that petitioner failed to demonstrate that she suffered harm rising to the level of persecution. Persecution that this court has... Just so I'm following, I think petitioner starting the argument on the nexus point, if I'm following, there's a certain logic to that because if there was no nexus shown in the past, it's hard to see how there's a reason to disturb the finding of no nexus with respect to the future, given there's no evidence of after she left anything that would indicate a particular motivation to target her for her being on account of her protected group beyond what was already in the record from before when she left. If that's right, then case is over on that ground alone. Is that right? Yes. Yes, Your Honor. We were just pointing out the alternate prongs should the court disagree that petitioner sufficiently, that the evidence compels the conclusion that there was a protected ground. But the government would advance that based on the record, that there's no indication that Tito targeted petitioner for her indigenous status, that the only motivation was money, which he repeats over and over numerous times in the record. Let me ask you, the purported psychological harm, that does not change the results, correct, in the government's opinion? No, Your Honor. While psychological harm can be a factor in determining whether the harm suffered rises to the level of persecution, psychological harm alone is not sufficient. In this case, we're talking about one incident where after approximately a month of dating, Tito approached petitioner, asked her to essentially participate in prostitution or selling drugs on his behalf so that he could gain the money that she earned from those activities. Petitioner refused. Tito grabbed her arm and then grabbed her, apologies, pulled her hair, and before the immigration judge, petitioner testified that he started to touch her breast. So we're talking about one incident, and that just falls short of what is required to demonstrate persecution. That wouldn't be true as the evidence of future persecution. In other words, at least what's alleged she feared being subject to was being sex trafficked. Does the government have a view as to whether that would rise to the level of persecution if it was supported? So whether the act of sex trafficking, Your Honor, could arise to the level of persecution? Because that's what she's claiming she fears would happen to her if she returned. She's not saying, I fear the same thing happening, that one incident's happening and that's it. She's saying she fears if she comes back, what they're going to do is make her a victim of sex trafficking. And I think she's saying that rises to the level of persecution. I don't understand the government to be disagreeing with that. Or am I wrong? Does the government actually take a position on that? I thought your position was that 
the record does not compel a finding that she would be sex trafficked. Right. The government's position is that, based on that one incident, there's not compelling evidence that she would be sex trafficked. And then, particularly, and not just that, but that she would be sex trafficked on account of her protected status. Well, I understand the next point, for sure. I'm just trying to understand if the government's taking a position one way or the other on the claimed persecution that she fears in the future as to whether that rises to the level. I understand your argument about why there's not evidence of past persecution because the incident doesn't rise to the level. Right. The government's position is that it's a case-by-case analysis, so sex trafficking being quite serious could arise. Well, we just don't have that issue here because there's no nexus. Right. Yes, Your Honor. We don't have that issue here. We don't even reach that determination. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. At this time, if counsel for the petitioner would reintroduce himself on the record to begin. Two-minute rebuttal. Christian Meyer for the petitioner. In relation to the holding for past persecution, the threat of sex trafficking was accompanied by threats of physical violence. So in that assessment, the court is compelled to analyze these threats. Was there significant actual suffering or harm that resulted from these threats? Yes, a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder and major depressive disorder. From those notes, she suffers from nightmares, anxiety, muscle tension, as well as fear. So that supports a finding of past persecution. Were these threats accompanied by physical violence? Well, certainly not overwhelming physical violence. They included pulling her hair, grabbing her arm to the point that she was left with bruises, as well as engaging in an act of sexual violence in groping her. What about her cousin after she had left? This Tito, I think, showed up at her cousin's, continued asking for her. Does that help your case, make it even stronger? I think in relation to the well-founded fear of future persecution, the fact that he is continuing his efforts to locate her, to make her engage in forced trafficking, yes. And I would also note that the court needs to take into account that the only reason the single incident ended is because Petitioner acquiesced to the demands. Fearing for her safety, she agreed, yes, I'll do this. And the record also shows that afterwards, she immediately set up her flight from Guatemala, fearing that this would occur. And that was well-founded, because within days, Tito calls her, saying, are you ready to do this? Are you ready to engage this? He sends his associates to seek her out, even after her flight. So that not only supports the severity and imminency of the threats that were lodged, supporting a finding of past persecution, but also supports the objective reasonability of her fear of future persecution. And finally, if I may make one final point on the nexus. In her credible fear interview, while she did note that there were financial motivations which do not preclude a finding of nexus, she did note, I believe the question was, what do you fear as an indigenous woman? Her response was, if I'm indigenous, and they can make me a prostitute. She also notes how they don't respect me. They say indigenous are worthless, and they want me to feel less. Well, there's not overwhelming evidence of past persecution, but there is enough to support a finding of nexus. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. That concludes argument in this case.
direct evidence of the motivation. It's well supported in the record from the practice of targeting vulnerable women like her, particularly in incidents where they feign romantic relationships to coerce them into sex traffic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That concludes argument in this case.